John chapter number 9 this morning. And I'd like to just read seven verses. This is a very lengthy chapter. And all of John chapter 9 is really the same narrative. It is all one story, one instance in the life of Christ. But I want to just notice the first seven verses this morning in the preaching of the Word of God. John chapter number 9, verse number 1. The Word of God says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for this privileged opportunity to be in your house. I pray that you'd give power and unction in the preaching of the Word of God. And I pray that you'd stir hearts for your glory. If there's anyone amongst us lost and undone, show them how you love them. Show them how you sent your Son to die for them. Show them, Lord, not with the physical eye of seeing, but that with the eye of faith they might behold your grand love and call upon your Son to save them before it's everlasting too late. Lord, we'll be sure to give you the glory for whatever's accomplished, for surely it'll be you that has done it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As you look through the gospel records, you'll find several instances. In fact, I found about five or six just uh, uh, casually browsing through the Gospels, of when the Lord Jesus reached down for a distinct purpose. We find back in John chapter number 8 that He reached down so He could write in the sand before the woman that was taken in adultery. We find in the book of Matthew how He reached down when Peter began to sink and plucked him up. We find where He reached down and grabbed children and pulled them in close and blessed them and uh, prayed over them. We find instances where He reached down to a demon-possessed boy who had been off this way, cast into the water and the fire. And the Bible says He was laying there as He was dead. And the Lord reached down and touched him and raised him up. I'm reminded of when in John chapter 13, the Lord Jesus knelt down and reached down to wash the feet of His disciples On several occasions, the Lord Jesus did this. Now, in the passage that we read before us, it does not explicitly say that He retched down. And yet, if we use our minds just a little bit, we'll find in verse number 6 that it is implied. The Bible says, when He had thus spoken, He spat on the ground. Now, it does not say that He took dirt in His hand and spat upon it. It does not say that someone else came and brought clay to Him. But the Bible says He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. So evidently, the Lord Jesus spit upon the ground, wretched down, picked up that clay, and applied it to the eyes of this blind man. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. He reached down his hand to reveal something to this man. To reveal something to this man. This was a man that the Bible says was blind from his birth. 
And yet, after the master applies the prescribed medicine and notion to him, he can all of a sudden see and be made alive and anew and afresh to be able to observe the world around him. Let me say a word about what I think reaching down implies and speaks of relative to the Lord Jesus. Let me say, number one, that when we look at the Lord reaching down, I believe it is a picture of His incarnation. In other words, the fact that He was made flesh for you and I. Has it ever dawned on you that the Lord of glory sat enthroned with all of the beauty of heaven? Uh, listen, He didn't have to come to this earth to be made God. He was already God. He didn't have to come to this earth to become more of God. He was already all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him. But the Bible teaches us that He left His throne in glory. He came to this earth to be born in a virgin's womb or from a virgin's womb to be born and placed into a manger to experience the suffering and sorrow of this world in a way that no one ever had inasmuch that the Bible calls Him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely, if we're looking for a way the Lord reached down, He reached down when He became man for you and I. But then I think about not only His incarnation, I think the reaching down must certainly speak of His propitiation. For there was never a time when the Lord went lower than when He went higher and died on the cross of Calvary. In fact, the Bible says that through His death, He descended into the lower parts of the earth. And what is it that He descended, but that He ascended? Or what is it that He ascended, but that He descended first? Uh, listen, there was no lower point in the human experience than for Christ to die upon Calvary. You understand that He went from having all power, and certainly He retained that power, but it was not exercised in that moment. The God of all creation was murdered, as it were, by His own creation. Wicked men with wicked hearts took Him and slew Him. That all the more magnifies the love of God when we understand that He didn't have to do it. He laid down His life that He might take it up again. It reminds me of Christ's propitiation. But then, and somebody's going to give me a testimony here, I hope. Uh, it reminds me of Christ's salvation. Because certainly in my life, the time when the Lord reached down to me was on December 1st, 1997, when He reached down into the bedroom of a ten-year-old boy and touched his heart and showed him he was a sinner and grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up out of miry clay and set his feet upon a solid rock and established his goings and changed his life. And I know that if you're saved by the grace of God, there's been a moment in your life when the God of all glory reached down to you and plucked you up out of your sins and changed your life and forgave you. I think of His incarnation, propitiation, and salvation. But what does it mean to this blind man? What did it mean to this individual that the God of glory reached down and plunged His hands into the dirt and soil of the earth and took mud and applied them to his eyes. Well, as we study John chapter number 9, you'll find that the theme of John chapter 9 is blindness. Not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. When the Lord Jesus performed a miracle, he never did so solely for the physical benefit of the person he was performing the miracle on. In other words, when he cleansed the lepers, it wasn't just so they wouldn't have leprosy. When he opened the eyes of the blind, it wasn't just so that they could see. When he raised up those that were lame on their legs, it wasn't just so that they could walk. He always did this to illustrate a truth of spiritual and monumental proportions. And John chapter 9 is no different. He is illustrating to the world that there is a blindness that comes from birth in the human experience that only the touch of God can lift from a person's life. 
that there is a blindness inherent to us as human beings, spiritually speaking, that only God can remedy. And that the longer that we are uh, blind to our blindness, the longer we go without help. Because until we're willing to recognize our blind condition concerning spiritual truth, we cannot have our lives changed and we cannot have the scales lifted. He says to the Pharisees at the end of this chapter, in fact, I'll read this and we'll revisit it a little later, but he's having a conversation with the Pharisees. And uh, he says first off to the blind man, he looks at him and, and he says, Dost thou believe on the Son of God in verse 35? He, speaking of the blind man, answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Glory to God. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see might not see not might see. Let's back up and read that again. I am come uh, for judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. See, the problem with the Pharisees, and we'll hit on a little bit more later, was not that they were blind, it was that they were blind to their blindness. The problem was not that they were blind. God could handle that. The problem was they said, We see, when they were truthfully blind to the revelation that God had given them. And yet we find in this passage that a man that begins saying, I can't see, ends by saying, I have seen him and uh, I believe and trusted in him. And individuals that claim they could see, God himself pronounces them blind. I want you to notice three simple thoughts this morning before we close. I want to say, number one, that when he reached down to this man, he revealed the reality of his blindness. Now, there's something very unique about this passage of Scripture. And actually, the, uh, the individuals that were around uh, this uh, blind man, uh, they, they touched on it themselves. Uh, they said themselves that it had never been heard of that a person who had been blind from their birth had had their eyesight restored to them. This man was not the first blind man who God had opened his eyes. This was not the first one who had had his vision restored. But it was the first one in human history that had ever been born blind and now all of a sudden had eyesight. This is fascinating to me. It's fascinating not because it changes the bondage of his blindness necessarily, but it changes the perspective of what blindness really is. I want you to think with me for a moment about the burden of blindness that was revealed to him. Now, this is a man that has never seen. He does not know what a sunset looks like. He does not know what the ocean looks like. He doesn't know what the color blue or what the color red is. He has no framework, no context in which to interpret the world around him concerning sight. Imagine with me. Let's just role play and just put yourself in his shoes. Imagine someone came and said to you that your tonsils or your appendix, that it's really there to exercise a sixth sense. Not seeing, not smelling, not hearing, not touching. None of the senses that you already are familiar with, but a sixth sense that you don't even know what it is and you can't even interpret it. And that the reason your tonsils or your appendix can't sense that is because they're dead and they don't function and operate the way that they are supposed to operate. What would you do with that information? You'd probably ask a question like, what is this sixth sense? What is it supposed to feel like? And they'd say, well, it's not a feeling. 
what is it supposed to look like? Well, it's not something you look at. What is it supposed to smell like? Well, it's not something you smell. What, what is it something, uh, what does it sound like? Well, it's not something you hear. It's just another sense. See, here's the truth I want you to get. This man understood blindness better than most, but he understood blindness in the abstract, not in the specific, not in the explicit. He had spent his whole life with folks telling him he was blind, but he didn't understand what blindness really meant because he didn't know what seeing really meant. You know what I found in my life? I grew up in a Bible-believing home. I grew up under the sound of the gospel. I spent my entire first ten years of my life, I mean, from the day I was just a, a, a week or two old, my parents brought me into the house of God, and week after week I sat under Bible preaching, uh, the truth of the Word of God, the gospel being delivered, and all my life men told me I was blind. But here's the problem. I didn't have a context in which to understand blindness. They could tell me all they wanted, but until I saw light, I didn't know what darkness really was. People could tell me. I could agree with them. I could say, oh yes, I understand. People would say, you're a sinner. You need to be saved. You need to trust in the Lord. And I knew I was a sinner in a sense, but I didn't understand what a sinner really was until I understood something about God's righteousness. Here's the problem with most people today. Most people will agree they're a sinner. They just don't understand what it means to be a sinner. They think to be a sinner simply means to do bad things occasionally. And they say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but everybody else is a sinner. You know, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. I'm not as bad as anybody else. The question is not whether you're as bad as anyone else. The question is, if you were to compare the darkness of your behavior to the light of God's righteousness, where would it compare? Here's the reality. This man, he had heard his whole life he was blind, but he didn't really know what that meant until he saw a person that has had their blind uh, or their eyesight taken from them in some way, they at least have a framework with which to understand the world. They understand what a sky looks like. They understand what colors look like. They can interpret something of the world around them. But a person blind from birth doesn't even know what it means. And this is the reason that often when you witness to lost sinners and you try to tell them you're lost without God, you need Christ. God can save you. He loves you. You're a sinner. They'll look at you. They'll say, well, you do bad things too. They don't understand what sin is. Listen, sin isn't about the fact that I do bad things or you do bad things. Sin is about the fact that we're born in a lost condition, alienated from God. It's that He's light, listen now, and we're darkness. He revealed to him the burden of his blindness, what it truly meant to be blind. And I'm reminded what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. The Bible says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. In other words, you could tell a man he was blind, but until he saw the light, blindness didn't mean anything to him. He didn't know what he was missing. He didn't know what the world could be. He didn't understand what the darkness was around him. And Paul says, I was that way. Without the law, I was dead. I didn't understand. He says, for I was alive without the law once. What does that mean? It means this. I didn't know what life and death was. I thought I was living. I thought I was alive. But when the commandment came, Paul says, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. That means they're light, right? They're light. They're right. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, by the light. 
that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. In other words, God, by shining light into this man's life, showed him just how dark his condition was. I think he revealed the burden of his blindness. I think he also revealed to him the beauty of the gospel. You can imagine this same individual. He's never had a ray of light shine into his eyes and be intercepted and translated by his mind. He cannot understand what darkness is. He's heard it called that. He's heard it described. He's heard people plea with him and implore him to understand. He can understand that darkness and light are two different things. But he has no concept, not just of what his blindness is, but of what seeing is. Imagine trying to describe sight to a person that's never seen. How would you do so? It'd be very instructive, and I'm sure you've, uh, many of you have probably done it, but to study the life of Helen Keller and to see how that, well, a, a woman that was deaf and dumb and blind was able to be taught to speak. And by the time she ended her life, she would even give uh, speeches and lectures in front of uh, colleges and commencement places like that. And they had to find some way to try to uh, get her to understand what a color was, what a, what a sunset was, what an ocean was, what a cloud was. But imagine not just not understanding what the darkness is, but not understanding what light truly is. When Christ was done with this man, he understood just how beautiful light could truly be. Now, I'm sure, listen now, that that light was offensive the first time it shined in his eyes. I'm sure, and you know this to be true. You ever you ever uh, woke up and uh, you've been in your house, got your curtains on, is it, you've took a nap or something, and you wake up and you open those curtains and the light just rushes in and it's offensive at first. But all of a sudden, as your eyes get adjusted, you begin to see the beauty. This man could have never dreamed what life could be like once God entered it. He could have never imagined what light could do and how it could change him. He could be told that it could, but he could never understand until he went through it. And it reminds me of what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 3 and 4 say, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I'm just going to be honest with you. I never knew anybody could love me the way God loves me till I heard of God's love. I never knew anybody would do for me what God did for me. That's the reason the Bible says, for gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Right? That's common sense. People that are saved, they know the gospel. So if we're ashamed to tell the gospel, the only person we're hiding it from is folks that are lost and undone and need to be saved. I could have never imagined what love was until God showed me His love. I could have never imagined what, what life was until God breathed new life into me. I could never imagine what gifts and sacrifice were until I saw that God gave His only begotten Son for me. When the glorious light of the gospel shined in, it was like a whole new world opened up. And it brings me to a third thought. Not only did he reveal to him the burden of his blindness and the beauty of the gospel, but I think he uh, revealed to him the blessing of what sight could do in his life. Uh, It's interesting, and we'll touch on it here in a moment, but the Lord says in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You can imagine how this man's life changed once God healed him of his blindness. You can imagine that all of the, he, he probably never understood what it was to navigate the world. In fact, I know he didn't by sight as opposed to by feel. He probably never understood what he could do and how he could function with that ability now that sight and light has entered into his life. 
I, I've known several folks that are blind. We've got a fellow that tunes our piano occasionally that, that's blind. Of course, Brother Pascal is, is blind. And I, and I always, people will ask me, they'll say, well, how are they doing? I always answer the same way. They're more high-functioning than I am. <laughs> they, uh, it really, it does amaze me. And I guess a lot of it is we just grow complacent. Uh, and when you're forced to sort of interpret the world in a different way and overcome those things, it, it causes you to cherish and to relish life. But there is one thing that, that both of them and, and most blind people have that this individual did not have. They at one time would have had their sight. This man, he had no concept of what it was to walk through this world, to function on his own. He had no framework with which to understand and interpret the world around him. Could you imagine? And let me just put it as simply as I can. I bet he probably said something like this. Well, I didn't know life could be this wonderful until Jesus healed me. I didn't know life could be like this. I didn't know what it was to watch a sunset. I didn't know what it was to behold the face of a loved one. I didn't know what it was to live this way. Boy, I remember the day I got saved. And I was, you know, I was a 10-year-old boy. My life, from the outward perspective, did not change that dramatically. But I remember immediately, like the little 8-year-old girl whose testimony inspired that old song that we sing, I'm in a new world. All of a sudden, it was like the world had opened up to me when I believed on the Lord. I understood all of the sudden so many things. And I'm not talking about some kind of miraculous infusion of knowledge that I hadn't had. I'm just saying the world made a little more sense to me than it had before. I looked around and all of a sudden as I, as I comprehended the world around me, it made sense now that I understood there was a loving, sovereign God that sits upon the circle of the earth that has providential control over what's going on around me. All of a sudden life and the possibility of it opened up to me in a way that I could have never imagined before. This man could have never imagined what it would be like to live with sight until God changed his life. He reached down to reveal to him the reality of his blindness. Let me give you a second thought. He reached down to reveal to him the reason for his blindness. Now, verse 1 of this chapter says that Jesus passed by, saw a man which was blind from his birth. And then the disciples ask him a question in verse 2. They ask him, they say, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the Lord Jesus answers a very, in a very fascinating way. He says this, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now let's stop and unpack that phrase. I don't believe the Lord Jesus ever told a lie, do you? I also don't believe that this man had never committed a sin, do you? I also don't believe his parents had never committed a sin, do you? If I know people, I know that we're all sinners and we all make mistakes and we all mess up. So what was the Lord Jesus saying in his response? He was saying this, that this man's blindness is not the result of personal sin, but this man's blindness is the result of corporate sin of humanity. And that God, in allowing this to take place, has allowed it to happen for the express purpose that the works of God should be manifest in it. In other words, you understand that every bit of sorrow and heartache in this world is the result of sin being a part of the human experience. That doesn't mean that every single bit of sorrow that we taste is the result of personal sin that we've committed. But here is the truth. Listen, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's who and what we are. This man was touched by the effects of sin's curse, even though he had not necessarily performed anything so vile or awful or wicked that it would warrant this type of punishment. It reminds me of this, that the reason that I'm a born blind 
the reason I'm born a sinner. It's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because I do bad things or good things. The reason you're a sinner, it's not because you do bad things or because you do good things. Hey, listen, you're not a sinner because you hate your family because you probably don't hate your family. You're not a sinner because you drown puppy dogs because you probably don't drown puppy dogs. You're a sinner for this reason and this reason alone. You were born into the family of sin just like I was. You were born into this condition just like this man was. He says the reason that God allowed that, and that's the next question. Atheists, you know, it's funny. Atheists act like they're the only one, like they get to ask all the questions, right? I was listening to a guy talking about it this morning. Like we as Bible believers, we have to give all the answers. But the reality is the atheist has a lot to try to find answers for too. And he can look at it and say, hey, listen, if there's a God, then why is there human suffering? But I can look and say, if there's not a God, why is there human suffering? Why is there such a thing as suffering? Why is there such a thing as right and wrong and good and evil and so on and so forth? That's one of the questions the atheist always likes to ask. Hey, listen, if, if God is God, then why did he allow him to sin in the garden? I'll tell you why. Right now, I'll tell you why. Two things. One, he gave man free will. And it was not God that sinned, it was man that sinned. And then the atheist says, oh, but if God's sovereign, and God is sovereign, if God is sovereign, He worketh all things according to His good pleasure, then why did He allow it? Here's why. Because we have something in Christ that Adam never had in the garden. God allowed man to fall into sin so that He might redeem him through the cross of Calvary and draw him into a fellowship closer than Adam, merely as a created being with no free... Hey, listen, we got something better than the angels got. We've got a relationship of grace. And the reality is this, listen, you can look at the heartache in your life and you can say, uh, listen, I'm this way because God's picking on me and God's mean to me and God hates me. No, the reason that the things happen in your life that happen that way is because God loves you and He's trying to draw you closer unto Him. Listen, if you're lost and undone, uh, God's not sitting up in heaven waiting to knock you over the head. Uh, He's seated, uh, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, ready and willing and able to save to the uttermost them that will come unto Him. He did this because He loves you and He wants to save you and change. You. He told him the reason for this man's blindness. It was to display the providence of God. I don't know how old this man was. The Bible does not tell us. But we do understand that he was old enough that his parents were not with him. He was a grown man. And he was old enough that everybody in the community knew what he was. So he'd been sitting there begging, no doubt, for many years. However old this man was, you understand that he had lived for this moment. Every moment of darkness he had ever experienced was in anticipation of this moment. Everything that he went through built to this moment. Every moment of frustration with his lack of ability to do this, all of it led to this moment. And don't you understand, if you're sitting here lost today, that the things of life have converged to a point, a focal point, a crisis moment. God has brought you to this place so that you'll trust in Him and believe on Him and be saved by His grace. The providence of God was on full display Jesus passed by, but he didn't get there by accident. He passed by providentially. And then I believe verse 4 tells us that uh, a reason for his blindness was not only to display the providence of God, but to display the pity of God. Verse number 4, the Bible says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Now, it's not lost on me the dispensational truth of what he is conveying here. This is something he's not saying to the blind man, he's not even really saying it to his disciples. He's saying it to the Pharisees that are listening because all this took place in the temple. And he's saying it to them and he's saying this, that right now you have light, you better walk in it because there's coming a day when darkness will come. But I couldn't help but notice this. The Lord Jesus says, it's day right now, I can work. But to that man it was forever night. He was helpless. 
The Lord Jesus says, when it's night, no man can work. When the darkness floods in, no man can work. And the condition that this man was in was a a, a life of perpetual darkness. Don't you realize what's being said here? God says, you couldn't change you. You couldn't save you. It's night where you are and no man can work in the night. But he says, I'm the light of the world. And so though you can't work and change your condition, I can work and change your condition. I can work because I am the day. You can't work because you're in the night. God took pity on this man when he could not help himself. Could not help himself. I remember one day, and I do this kind of stuff all the time, and and that's why I love the the folks that I've known in life that that do have blindness. They're always so patient with those of us that are handicapped by seeing um, because we always, we say dumb things and do dumb things. They're always just so patient. I remember one time the fellow that tuned our piano <laughs> was coming. His name's Doug. And uh, I, I went and picked him up and brought him over here. And uh, we were walking in the back door. And uh, he, he walked in um, right behind me. And uh, I said, hold on a second, Brother Doug. Let me turn a light on for you here. <laughs> he didn't say a word. But I just crawled up under a pew. <laughs> felt embarrassed. <laughs> we, we, we do things like that because it's impossible for many of us to put us within the context of what that means. But don't you understand that God, because He loved us so much, He entered the realm of darkness to be made darkness. You say, oh, preacher, I don't believe that. Well, He was made sin for us. He, that is the eternal day, there's coming a day, the Bible says, when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the city of God will sit upon it, and there'll be no sun there, because the Lamb is the light. Him that was light became darkness for us. He looked down at us. We couldn't become light. Oh, glory. We couldn't become light. We couldn't change our condition. We couldn't change our situation. But He that is all light became darkness for us that were in bondage of darkness to change us and save us. And to rescue us. It displays the pity of God. But then finally I see it displays the power of God. Verse number 5, the Bible says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus did something here that was indisputable. It had to have been God that did this. And in fact, that's the testimony this man gives. They ask this man later on, they say, uh, This man, was he a sinner? Because he did this on the Sabbath day. And the guy gives an interesting answer. He says this, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But this I know, that once I was blind, and now I see. He said, I don't know a lot about him. I don't even know his name. But I know I used to be blind, and now I can see. And that means something to me. Listen, there's... (laughs) There's a lot you can argue with me about, but it just you ain't going to make no time arguing with me about whether God's real and whether Jesus is real and whether He's the way to heaven. Let me tell you why. Because it doesn't matter what you say. doesn't matter the graphs you show me or the philosophers you quote. doesn't matter what you do. I don't know a lot of things, but I know this. I once was blind, and now I can see. And Jesus did that for me. So He must be God. This displayed the power of God. He said, I am the light of the world, and I can give this man light. I can give this man light. Finally, we see that he reached down to reveal not only the reality of his blindness and the reason for his blindness, but he reached down to reveal to this man the remedy for his blindness. It says in verse number 6, you were, we read it a moment ago in verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, 
a question must be asked if we're intellectually honest. Why did Jesus do this? We understand Jesus didn't have to do this to heal the man. Uh, God spoke the world into existence. He could have spoke this man's blindness out of existence. He could have spoke his eyes alive, however you want to describe it. He did not have to do this. But we see three basic components that God commanded or gave to him that enabled him to see. And I think they're there on purpose. Let me say, number one, that he gave this man a covering for his eyes. Why did he do this? Here's why I believe he did this. He took the clay of which man is made. And he made a covering. You say, why didn't he just put dirt? Why did he spit on it? And I got, listen, I got a real unspiritual answer for this. I don't, I, I, you can try to make something out of the spittle. You can try to talk about, well, the breath of life and the Holy Ghost and water and this and that. I'm going to give you my reason that I believe. Because it hurt if somebody put dirt in your eyes. It's that simple. I, to me, I believe so. And you might have a lot better answer if you do. That's, that's great. But I believe that's why he spat upon the ground. I don't believe the, the object of interest is, is the spit. I believe it's the clay. And he placed that on his eyes. Why? Because that's what he was made of. And if he was ever going to see, he had to face what he was made of. He had to have his nature applied to his eyes. We learn this later on in the conversation with the Pharisees. When they say to the Lord Jesus, uh, they say, Are we blind also? In verse 41, Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. He said, listen, you may not have physical blindness, but you have spiritual blindness. And the spiritual blindness is there. Why? Because you say, we see. We see. What were they saying, we see? They, they said, we see the way to God. We see God's holiness. We see God's righteousness. But they didn't really see that. Because if they really saw that, they would receive God's gift of His Son and believed on Him for His righteousness. Here's the truth of the matter. You know, the first step that, that took place for me to be saved, born again, is I had to face what I really was. Quit making excuses. Quit trying to make myself out to be more than what I am. Quit trying to tell people, well, you know, I'm a good person and I try hard and I love my family and I do this and I do that. And I had to just agree with God about the fact that I was a lost sinner. He had to place that mud on my eyes to where I couldn't look away and show me who and what I really was. He gave him a covering for his eyes and reminds me of... Uh, of uh, <laughs> well, I won't go there. Uh, then I want you to notice verse 7. The Bible says this, And he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He gave him a commandment for his obedience. Now somebody's going to say, Preacher, we're not saved by works. And you're right. We're not saved by works. But obedience is not always a matter of action or ability. You learn this when you have kids because you spend, I'm going to say 97% of your day saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Occasionally you'll say, why would you even think of doing that? But most of the time you're saying, don't do that. And their obedience is, is not a performance of duty, but it's a cessation of bad behavior. The Lord Jesus gives this man a commandment. It was not his traveling to the pool of Siloam that healed him. It was not his washing in the pool of Siloam in and of itself that healed him. Had this man took mud and spread it over his own eyes and went to the pool of Siloam and washed, he would have went away as blind as he went there with. But here's the truth. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When we respond in obedience to the Word of God, we are responding in faith. 
Paul taught this truth before King Agrippa when he said, I was not disobedient, O king, to the heavenly vision. Well, what was the vision that God had given to Paul uh, to not kick against the pricks, to believe on him, to receive him? And he said, listen, I was obedient to that. The Bible talks about us obeying the gospel. Well, how do we obey the gospel? I found this verse and I thought it was interesting. 1 John 3.23 says, This is His commandment, that ye should believe on the name of the Son of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He hath given us commandment. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29, Then said they unto Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Don't you remember at the beginning of this, Jesus said, This man was born blind so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. What were the works? of God. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. In other words, here's what we have to understand. is not that this man somehow curried God's grace and favor by performing an action, but rather that he, in the performance of that, surrendered unto God's requirement upon him. You know what God's requirement is upon me and you? That we acknowledge that we're a sinner and that we quit trusting in anything but Christ to get us to heaven. You're trusting in your baptism, your good works, the number in your bank account, the friends and family that you have, whatever religion you may uphold, whatever that is, it's not enough. God commands you today. Uh, God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe and be saved. God commands you today to quit leaning upon that and to respond in obedience. And then finally, I like this, man. He gave him a covering for his eyes and a commandment for his obedience. But then finally, he gave him a cleansing for his sight. The Bible says at the end of verse number 7, He went His way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Came seeing. That, that clay that represents the old nature, if you're ever going to see it, has to be washed away by the truth of the gospel. Christ said this to His disciples. He said, Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The only way to be clean is to trust in the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and allow for God to address those scales of clay and blindness in human nature. Now, this man, he remained a human being. He lived the rest of his life making mistakes and messing up. (laughs) But to my knowledge, he never did lose that eyesight. And it reminds me of this. Listen, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. You're going to do things wrong. (laughs) But once God saves you, you never do lose that salvation. Hey, once he opens your eyes, spiritually speaking, they don't get closed back up. God changes you and saves you by His eternal grace. Boy, I'm glad one day He reached down to me. I'm glad. Listen, when I was broken and in blindness from birth, when I was lost in my sin-sick condition, I didn't know what sin was. I didn't know what the gospel was. Oh, I had an academic understanding, an abstract concept of it. But I, listen, I didn't have an explicit and experiential understanding. People told it to me, but that was good. That didn't mean anything, though. But when God spoke to me that day, When God spoke to me that day, He showed me how blind I really was. He showed me how beautiful the gospel was, that He died for my sins. He showed me the blessing it would be to walk in life and light and love and to walk with Him. And He placed my nature on my eyes and showed me how lost I was. Then He commanded me to believe and be saved. And when I believed on the precious Word of God, He cleansed me and saved me and changed me. Oh my, what a God we have. I'm so glad He reached down to me.